And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? He, uh, he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself do not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello again. Uh, it'd be great if you can have uh, John chapter 1 uh, open in front of you. And uh, let me lead us in prayer and ask for God's help this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are a God who speaks. Thank you that you have not left us in the darkness but that you continue to reveal yourself to us in your word. And uh, we pray, Father, this morning as we uh, turn our attention to the things that you say, uh, would you help us to see Jesus more and more clearly uh, in our lives and in our hearts so that we might bear witness to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, do you have humility? Uh, would you describe yourself as a humble person? It's a difficult question to answer, isn't it? For if you say that you are a humble person, then it probably means that you are not. Uh, it's very possible to be proud about your humility sometimes, isn't it? But there is something quite attractive about humility, I think. Indeed, uh, the most influential and inspiring people in the world are often marked by humility. Uh, I don't know whether uh, any of you have read the best-selling book called Good to Great. Has anyone read that book before, Good to Great? Oh, one person, that's impressive. Um, in this book, um, the author, uh, Jim Collins, kind of does a bit of investigating into what makes good companies great ones. Uh, a great company he defines as one that outperforms the market trend by at least three times uh, over a 15-year period. 
Surprisingly, uh, the great companies turned out not to be, you know, the, the huge companies like Coca-Cola or uh, companies of that stature, but they turned out to be uh, smaller companies like Gillette. Um, you know, if you've ever bought a shaving product, uh, you know Gillette. And further, the great surprise was that all of the best performing companies were led not by, you know, larger than life charismatic people, but they were led by people who were unassuming and humble and interested in its employees. You see, employees respond well to humble bosses. We are attracted to people who are humble. Uh, that's why sports people like Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal will always be more popular than people like Nick Kyrgios, for example. There is something attractive of people, about people who are marked by humility, isn't there? Uh, who are the humble people that you and I are, are attracted to? Now, last week, we uh, started a new series, as we've heard, in, in the Gospel of John, where, uh, if you remember, we looked at the first 18 verses, which is uh, the prologue uh, or the introduction. Uh, one of the things we saw in these verses is that John introduces us to many of the, the themes that he sort of develops uh, uh, as the, the Gospel of John uh, unfolds, uh, themes like light and darkness, for example, themes like being born again, themes like uh, receiving eternal life. These are all themes that he develops as the gospel progresses. But if you remember, uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, John has already in introduced us to the person of John the Baptist as the one who comes to witness to the light. And uh, in our passage this morning, jo John goes on to tell us more about uh, this person called John the Baptist and his witness to Jesus. And I want to suggest, friends, that you cannot read these verses about John the Baptist without being struck by his humility. Now, in the first part of today's passage, I want you to see that John's consistent message is that he is no one great. He is no one great. I reckon this is quite surprising because um, you may know from, you know, the other gospel accounts that John the Baptist was not sort of some small backyard operation. But people were coming from all over the Judean countryside to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. He was a big deal. And so it's unsurprising that in our passage, the Jewish leaders who were sort of like the guardians of the Jewish faith, it's unsurprising that they would be curious about him. They would want to know more about him, uh, about what he was doing and why he was doing those things. Uh, that's why in verse 19, you can see there that some priests and Levites are sent by the Jewish head office in Jerusalem to ask John some questions. Who are you? What kind of authority do you have to do what you are doing, they ask. What does John say? Well, in verse 20, you can see there that he says very clearly that he is not the Christ. 
Uh, you may know uh, that the word Christ is a, is a Greek word that means uh, God's anointed king. Uh, the equivalent Hebrew word is the word Messiah. For the Jewish people were expecting a great king and a great Messiah who would finally deliver the people of Israel and usher in God's everlasting kingdom. Uh, perhaps there were rumors because John the Baptist was such a big thing that he himself was the Messiah. And yet, you can see there that he flatly denies that this is the case. I am not the Christ, he says. But notice that he, he doesn't just deny that he is the Messiah, but he makes other denials as well. Uh, in verse 21, he denies that he is Elijah. And uh, if you have a look in the same verse, in verse 21, he denies that he is the prophet. Now, why would the Jewish leaders be asking whether John is Elijah or the prophet? Uh, well, uh, if you know your Old Testament, you will know that both Elijah and the prophet were people that God had promised to send before the end time judgment of God. Um, if you have your Bibles there with me, um, flip back with me to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So it shouldn't be too hard to find. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And you can see there in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, that God says, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Or uh, flip back uh, even more with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, let me hear those pages flicking. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where Moses says, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. That is, both Elijah and the prophet were end-time figures that the people of God were expecting. They were end-time figures that God had sent would come before the final judgment day. And yet, John denies that he is any of these figures. It's quite striking because uh, if you remember, Jesus himself says uh, in Matthew's gospel that John the Baptist is Elijah. Do you remember that? But here, John denies that he is Elijah. Perhaps because what has been revealed to him by God at this stage was not his identity as Elijah, but his identity as someone else. And so who does John the Baptist say he is? If he is not the Christ, if he's not the uh, Elijah, if he is not the prophet, who does he say he actually is? Well, you can see there that he says that he is the voice as recorded in Isaiah the prophet. Uh, you can see it there in verse 23, can't you? He says there, uh, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. It's an astonishing image that you see there that comes uh, straight out of Isaiah chapter 40, which uh, Jenny read out for us earlier. 
uh, Isaiah chapter 40 is really the turning point uh, of, uh, uh, of Isaiah, of the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah starts to speak of comfort uh, for the people of Israel um, as they struggle along uh, in slavery in, in Babylon. Uh, the picture here is of a huge road construction project, a bit like West Connects, that runs straight through the desert wilderness. In Isaiah, if you remember, uh, the picture that, that uh, we got was of mountains being flattened and, and valleys being filled in so that uh, this highway can be constructed through the desert. Why is this highway being built? Well, it's being built so that God himself can lead his people from exile in Babylon uh, back to their home city of Jerusalem, you see. It's a picture of deliverance and salvation and freedom. And yet, uh, Isaiah's role, sorry, John the Baptist's role is not to be the saviour. His role is simply to be the voice that prepares for that saviour to come, you see. Uh, that's why in verse 26, John says these remarkable words. He says, I baptise with water, but among you stands one you do not know, he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Uh, do you see what's, what he's saying? He's saying, you know, I just splash water on people. But after me comes someone so great, so wonderful, so awesome, that I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. I, I think this is an astonishing thing to say. For if you remember, in Matthew 11, um, Jesus himself says that there is actually no one born of woman who is greater than this one called John the Baptist. And so it's not that John is a nobody, but here he's saying that even he can't compare to the one who comes after him. It's great humility, isn't it? For John's consistent message was, it's not about me, it's about him. I am not the great one. He is the great one. Don't look at me, look at him. Now, friends, it is true that John the Baptist had a particular uh, unique role to play in preparing the people of Israel for their coming saviour. And yet, uh, I want to suggest that this kind of humility is entirely appropriate for anyone who follows Jesus, don't you think? Are you someone whose life motto is, it's not about me, it's about him? Is your life and my life all about making ourselves look great? Or is it really about making him look great or pointing to him who is great rather? Don't look at me, look at him. Uh, it's so easy, don't you think, friends, to make life all about me, don't you think? I think it's particularly true in our speech. Uh, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who can only ever talk about themselves? 
of you ever had that kind of conversation before? It's mind-numbingly tedious. Uh, some people are so concerned about making themselves look great in the eyes of others that all they can ever do is talk about themselves and turn every conversation into something about themselves. Um, are you like that? Am I like that? Try to catch yourself in the midst of your next conversation and see just how much you've talked about yourself rather than being interested in others. It's so easy to make everything about me rather than others. It's so easy to make everything about me rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the flip side, have you ever had a conversation with someone who is genuinely interested in showing how great Jesus is? I bet that that kind of conversation is wonderfully encouraging, wonderfully inspiring, and wonderfully appropriate for those who claim to follow Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. Don't look at me. Look at him because he is far more impressive. Uh, now, of course, friends, uh, it's, it's not wrong to speak about yourself, is it? Uh, in fact, it's hard to relate to others if you don't actually reveal something of yourself to other people. Uh, further, this isn't a call for false humility where you, know, you tell other people all the time that you're good at nothing, uh, when in fact, you're good at lots of things. In many ways, that's a form of pride where you are more interested in other people thinking well of you than the truth. But it is to say that those who follow Jesus are the ones whose life and whose words and whose deeds ultimately point not to themselves, but to him who is great. Uh, you may have heard the name uh, Hudson Taylor. Uh, not our Hudson Taylor, we have a Hudson Taylor uh, in our congregation, but uh, this Hudson Taylor is the famous British missionary to China who uh, was famous because uh, he wore his hair in a pigtail and wore Chinese clothing in order to uh, better reach the Chinese uh, with the gospel. Um, it's estimated that his work resulted in over 800 missionaries being sent to China uh, it's estimated that 125 schools have been started in China uh, because of his influence. And it's estimated that uh, his work laid the platform for gospel work to take place in China, resulting in millions of conversions since his time. But before his death, Hudson Taylor was invited to speak at a large church uh, in Melbourne. And uh, being such a well-respected person, uh, the MC introduced him in, in glowing terms. Uh, as Taylor got up to speak uh, on the platform, uh, the MC introduced him as our illustrious guest. But the story goes that when Taylor got up to the lectern to speak, he began his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. Not me, but him. 
Can you say that about your life? Uh, what do you and I need to change, uh, whether it be our speech or our deeds or our life goals or the things that we consider to be important so that life is not all about me, but ultimately about him? Now, friends, uh, we've seen uh, John the Baptist saying, it's not me, but, but him. But who is the him that he speaks of? Uh, we've seen that he's going to be the great one, but who precisely is he? Well, in the next part of our passage, I want to suggest that the focus shifts from showing who John the Baptist is to now showing uh, who Jesus is. Uh, you'll notice there in verse 29 that uh, it's the day after um, head office sends um, some religious leaders to question John. And uh, on this next day, you can see there that John comes face to face with Jesus himself. And when John sees Jesus, he says in verse 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. But what does John the Baptist mean when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God? Uh, could he be referring to the lambs that were slaughtered in the temple uh, day after day to make atonement for the people's sin? Uh, it's quite uh, appropriate that he would be thinking about that because if you remember uh, John the Baptist uh, came from a priestly family where he would have seen lambs being slaughtered day after day or could he be referring to the Passover lamb uh, in the Exodus where a lamb was slaughtered in the place of Israel and its blood sprinkled over the doorposts so that God's judgment could pass over them could he be referring to the servant of the Lord in the prophet Isaiah, who uh, is led like a lamb to the slaughter for the transgressions of the people? Uh, it's a bit hard to know at this stage, isn't it, what exactly uh, John is talking about. Uh, perhaps as a prophet of God, John is actually speaking a bit more than what he actually knows here. But uh, as the gospel of John unfolds, we see many of these themes uh, coming together in the death of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb who dies in the place of sinners, the Passover lamb who enables God's judgment to pass over sinners like you and me. For Jesus is the one who dies as a lamb in the place of sinners like you and me to atone for our sins. And so uh, John the Baptist here recognizes that Jesus is the great one who has come to atone for sin and to deliver his people from God's wrath for sin. Indeed, John says in verse 31 that this is the reason why he has been baptizing people with water. Uh, in verse 31, he says, uh, I myself did not know, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Uh, now, let me ask you a question. Uh, I can see a few heads nodding at the moment. Um, so let me ask you a question. Uh, how does John's baptism 
reveal Jesus. I mean, if you were, you know, uh, back there 2,000 plus years ago and you saw John uh, baptizing people in the Jordan River, uh, how do you think that reveals Jesus to Israel? Can I give you a moment to think about it? Um, turn to the person sitting next to you. Uh, I'll give you a few moments. Uh, how does John's baptism reveal Jesus to Israel? Okay, if anyone thinks uh, they can tell us uh, how John the Baptist's baptism reveals uh, Jesus to Israel, uh, throw up your hand and uh, give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, that's helpful. Did, did anyone else kind of land somewhere similar? Um, I think that's right. I don't think this passage is saying, like, in the act of baptism with water, uh, somehow Jesus is revealed uh, as the Christ. I, I think he's talking about a particular baptism, uh, which is John's uh, baptism of Jesus. Um, and that's why the rest of our passage is really all about the baptism of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, his baptism uh, at the hands of John the Baptist. In verse 32, have a look with me at verse 32. John says that when he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus from heaven like a dove and remain on him. Uh, furthermore, in verse 33, John the Baptist says that in the baptism of Jesus, the one who sent him, uh, that is God the Father, revealed to him that when he sees the Holy Spirit yeah, descending on Jesus and remain on him, then he will know that Jesus is the one who has the power to baptize people, not simply with water, but with the Holy Spirit itself. Now, uh, let's catch our breath for a moment here, because there's a lot going on. Uh, why is the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and remaining on him so significant? Why is that such a significant event uh, here in, in John's Gospel? Well, it's because the Old Testament expectation was that the Messiah would be the one on whom God's spirit comes down and rests. And so, for example, if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, uh, flip back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. We're doing a lot of Bible flicking today. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, listen to what Isaiah says about the Messiah, whom uh, he calls the branch. Uh, in, in this particular passage. He says, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, the spirit of God will come down and rest on the Messiah and enable him to do the work of saving his people. It's not like the Old Testament where, you know, we see the Holy Spirit um, temporarily coming to rest on certain people so that they can do God's work. No, here it's a permanent enabling to save people for all time, you see. But what does John the Baptist mean when he says that Jesus will be the one who can baptize people with the Holy Spirit? Again, it's because of an Old Testament expectation that one day 
God will sprinkle his people not only with water, but with his very own spirit so that they can be cleansed from sin and inwardly changed in their heart to obey God. Uh, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, and you can see it there. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. I promise this is the last verse I'll, I'll ask you to look up. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. Uh, you can see it there. God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see what God is saying there? He's saying that a day is coming when he will do a deep clean of his people. It won't be external like the baptism of John who splashes water on people, but it will be a deep clean where sins are actually cleansed and a deep clean where people are given new hearts to obey God from deep within. And when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, God reveals to him that, yes, the time has now come. Jesus is the one who will do this work. Jesus is the one who will pour out his spirit on his people to cleanse people like you and me from our sins and to give us new hearts that want to obey God. He is the great one. But friends, notice that John the Baptist needs God's help to know Jesus and to see him for who he really is. Uh, you may have noticed, uh, even in this early stage of John's gospel, that the theme of knowing is uh, a big theme uh, in his writing. Uh, at the end of verse 26, John says to the Jewish leaders that they do not know Jesus. In verse 31, John the Baptist himself says that even he did not know Jesus until he had his spiritual eyes opened by God. Now, that's not saying that, you know, John didn't know about Jesus. Or if you remember, John and Jesus were actually cousins. They would have known about each other. But what God is saying here is that you cannot really know Jesus you cannot really see Jesus as who he really is, as the Christ, as the Lamb of God who has come to take away your sins, unless God is the one at work in opening your eyes and opening my eyes. But that's why we pray for our non-Christian friends, isn't it? It's because they will never see until God opens their eyes and switches the light on. That's why we pray for our children. It's because whether they follow Jesus or not is not ultimately up to us, but it's when God helps them to see. 
That's why we pray for one another to know Jesus better, for it is only as God opens our eyes that we can see Jesus for who he really is. But here's the thing, friends. Uh, once God opens your eyes to see that Jesus is the great one, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then it is impossible to stay quiet about him. That's why John says in our final verse, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You see, seeing Jesus and bearing witness to him go hand in hand. What do you see as great and wonderful and awesome in your life? I bet that that thing that you have in your mind that you see as great and wonderful and awesome are the things that you love to talk about. Am I right? You know, a few weeks ago, I bought an ice machine. And I tell you, it is the greatest thing ever. It gives you unlimited ice. My drinks in summer are no longer lukewarm. I can stay cool even on the hottest of days. But you know what? Ever since I got that ice machine, I just can't shut up about it. <laughs> you know, when people come over to my place, I say, have a look at my ice machine. Would you like a cold drink? Uh, when people ask me how my week was, I tell them that it was fantastic because I have everlasting ice. You see, when you see something to be great, you just cannot stop talking about it. Is that true? Do you see how great Jesus is? Has God opened up your eyes to, to see his greatness, his awesomeness, his wonderfulness, because he is the lamb of God who has taken away your sin? If we have, then like John the Baptist, I want to suggest that we ought to be people who cannot help but speak about Jesus. This isn't a threat to evangelize, is it? It's just the way it works. If I cannot help myself witnessing to the greatness of my ice machine that gives me unlimited ice, then how can I not witness to Jesus, who gives me unlimited life. Do you witness to Jesus in your life because God has shown you just how good and just how great he is? For Jesus really is great. I find it striking that in our passage, John the Baptist says that Jesus is so great that he is not worthy even to stoop down and untie his shoelaces, his sandals. But you see, the reason why Jesus is so great is because we see later on in the gospel that he is actually the one who unties the sandals of his disciples. And even though John says that he ranks first, he's number one, 
Well, later in the gospel, we see that he makes this Jesus, this great one, makes himself not number one, but last, humbling himself and dying on a humble cross for sinners like you and me. Jesus is the great one because of his humility in dying on the cross for sinners like you and me. Do, do you see it? Do you rejoice in it? And will you witness to it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though he was with you and was God from eternity past, that he humbled himself and became a man and was obedient to you, even to death on a cross. We thank you that because of his da death as the Lamb of God, our sins have been taken away. Now, Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes more and more to see just how great this Jesus is in laying down his life for us. We pray that we would know this, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, so that we might witness to him. Now, please help us to be the people who cannot stop talking about just how great and good Jesus is to those around us. And we pray, Father, that you might draw many who live in darkness to his wonderful light so that they might have eternal life as we have. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.